by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we come together and talk about the upcoming readings for the Sunday in the church here. This is uh, one of the Sundays where we forego the regular Sunday readings and we trump them with a festival. This is not the festival time of the year, but uh, this is a uh, time of the year when we have two festivals back to back. And this week we're going to be looking at the readings for Reformation Day. Now, technically, Reformation Day is October 31st. Uh, why, Pastor, is October 31st Reformation Day? Well, uh, it's Reformation Day because uh, that's the day before All Saints Day. All Saints Day was a required day of going to church back in the Middle Ages, and it was a day that a lot of people went to the uh, castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, to visit all the relics that were in uh, inside of the uh, castle church, and therefore uh, to... Uh, limit the amount of time they would have to spend in purgatory as a result. And so um, Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses that day with the hopes that people who went to the church the next day uh, would see those theses, and so that's the day we celebrate the Reformation. I think maybe it would be better to do uh, for the Augsburg Confession, which is uh, June 30th, but, um, you know, we have what we have, and we'll go with that. Yeah, I think in the in the history of the Lutheran Church, June 25 has been a much more significant date. October 31st is Reformation Day is uh, probably less than... 150 years old in its significance, but we have what we have. And so the church generally takes the Sunday before October 31st, unless October 31st falls on a Sunday, but takes the Sunday before October 31st and designates that as Reformation Day. At Good Shepherd, since we worship on Wednesdays year-round, we oftentimes get a chance to celebrate Reformation twice. We do it on uh, Sunday, and we turn right around and do it again on Wednesday, and that'll be the way it is this year at Good Shepherd. And, Pastor, I think one of the historical things that you talked about that, that we don't talk about enough is the connection between Reformation Day and All Saints Day, which is the Sunday that's the next celebration uh, festival that will trump the regular readings in the church. The The next festival that we will be celebrating the uh, week after 
Reformation is All Saints Day and that historical connection why Luther posted the 95 theses on the church door because everybody was going to church day of obligation but to see the relics and get time off of their time in purgatory that is so forgotten in our in our talk of reformation right now yeah, it definitely is, and uh, yet that's the historical reality. Um, Frederick the Wise, the ruler of Saxony, electoral Saxony at the time, uh, had amassed a huge collection of relics, uh, and the idea being that when you saw them and went through them and uh, venerated them properly, you lost time in purgatory. I'm not sure of the exact details of how much, if it was a full uh full plenary uh, indulgence or if it was uh, just a partial indulgence, I don't know, but that's he had done that and so Martin Luther was going right to the throat of this particular issue that they were dealing with. Okay, and uh, speaking of going right to the throat, we've uh, we've talked about Reformation long enough. Vicar, the uh, introit for Reformation Day has an antiphon, a very familiar antiphon, Psalm 119, 46, and then selected verses from Psalm 34. Share that with us, would you please? I will speak of your testimonies before kings, O Lord, and shall not be put to shame. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. You know, I love to do these pass-fail oral examinations on the radio with our new vicars. Are you ready, vicar? Sure. <laughs> Why is the antiphon, Psalm 119, verse 46... Why is that verse of specific theological importance for Lutheran Christians? Do you know the answer? When we speak of uh, the Lord's testimonies, uh, we are confessing and repeating what he has told us. Um, we're also speaking of preaching, preaching the word, uh, whether it be before kings or before anybody. Okay, well, I mean, nothing that you said is wrong uh, or theologically inept or anything like that. Um, Pastor, what am I fishing for with regard to the Book of Concord? Well, um, I was going to say this is uh, definitely something that we see, at least to the presentation of the Augsburg Confession, where the princes knelt down before Charles and said, I'd rather you cut off my head than uh, take my confession of faith away from me. And then I think that this is also then in... Is it the introduction to the Augsburg Confession and the, the then the closing, the not the Augsburg Confession, the Book of Concord? The closing of the Book of Concord then is with intrepid heart we seek to uh, uh, keep this confession of faith all of our days or something like that. And so it does have that fulfillment there in multiple ways. In the preface to the Book of Concord, and specifically these words are with the Augsburg Confession for uh, the reason Pastor Moline talked about. These words, this verse is the preface. This verse uh, is why we have a Book of Concord. We are making the good confession. We will speak God's word. We will speak of God's testimonies before the whole world, and we don't care what happens to us. And that is why we are confessional 
Christians. We have this boldness, this confidence, because God, uh, I mean, what can, uh, God is for us. What can people do to us? We cannot be put to shame, not the way the world uh, operates. We have God on our side. Uh, Pastor, Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about making the good confession again um, to speak the truth. Um, and that essentially is what praise is ultimately, is speaking the word of God and its truth and purity. God delights in it when we do that. Um, and so, you know, we kind of have this confused idea of what praise is in our world, that it's, um, you know, singing some sort of a song with our arms uplifted and waving back and forth. Real praise is speaking God's word in its truth and purity, using the name of God rightly um, and uh, hallowing it. And so keep the second commandment again also. So that's what we're doing here when we are uh, praising God continually with our mouths. Vicar, it says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. How does my soul boast in the Lord? The soul is able to boast because in the Lord, the soul is now eternal. Um, And we celebrate it just as Mary did in the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. Okay, uh, I think that connection to the Magnificat is uh, is good. Um, when when we are talking about our soul, and especially in the Old Testament scriptures, this is a this is a holistic kind of an understanding. My whole being, uh, not just my flesh, not just my brain, not just my gut, but everything, and my soul, my my totality, my entirety, both in the Lord, I hear it, I hear the word of God, and my whole body, my whole life, my whole heart, my whole being is transformed. Um, Seek the Lord with gladness. There there are many, many, um, in thee is gladness amid all sadness is one of the hymns that we sing as well. Um, I think when we use the word boast too, not to interrupt you, sorry. No. Uh, it makes me think of the book of Second Corinthians where Paul continually talks about boasting can only be done in faith in Jesus Christ and in the work that he does for us, not in our own actions or things like that. And it uh, kind of culminates with Paul's famous words in Second Corinthians 12 uh, where he says he was given a thorn in the flesh uh, to keep him humble. And so he'll boast all the more in his weaknesses because when he is weak, then Christ Christ is the one who is strong on his behalf. And that's a good distinction between boasting, uh, which God's word praises, and sinful bragging, which uh, God's word condemns. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Uh, We've talked about this before, Pastor, but um, why is teaching the fear of the Lord significance? Well, um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of faith, according to our definition of the first commandment. Uh, What is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods. This means we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We also have in the book of Proverbs that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, And so this idea of fearing God uh, is an acknowledgment of the reality of who he is and how indebted we are to him. And uh, that's the beginning of faith then. Vicar, we have the uh, the big gospel 
word in the last section there. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. What are we talking about here with regard to this redemption? This redemption is the once and for all payment in blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord, on the cross. Yes, this, uh, this redeem, this buy back word is, uh, is the gospel word. And what does, in that last line, Pastor, it says, uh, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. In the time that we have left in this section, connect the words redeemed, refuge, and condemned. Well, I think these words are eschatological in their nature, looking towards the final judgment when Christ will return again. And those of us who are covered and marked with the blood of the Lamb in the waters of holy baptism uh, and have faith in his promises when Christ returns, uh, we shall not receive the second death, if you will, from Revelation, but instead we will be brought into eternal life with God, uh, bought back by his blood, uh, purchased and won from all sin, from death and the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with the holy precious blood of Jesus Christ, and that fulfillment of that buying back will be on that last day. Amen, amen, amen. We can rejoice because God has redeemed us with the holy, precious blood of Jesus. And as we have been redeemed, cleansed, and forgiven, and in this new life, we are bold to make confession, to give our testimony to the entire world, because the entire world needs it just like we do. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for Reformation Sunday. When we come back, we're going to look at the alternate gospel reading, Matthew 11, 12 to 19. Don't change that dial. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're looking at the readings for Reformation Sunday, Reformation Day. Our first segment, we looked at the introit, uh, section selected verses of Psalm 34, bracketed by one of the uh, all-time great passages in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 Verse 46, the preface to the Augsburg Confession, I will speak of your testimonies before kings, O Lord, and shall not be put to shame. Keep that in mind with regard to making the good confession right here, right now, Reformation Day. The gospel reading for Reformation. This is uh, this is kind of a kind of an odd thing. I'm not sure if this is uh, if this is the case in the three year series of readings, Pastor, but it certainly is in the one year series. Traditionally, the gospel reading for Reformation Sunday is from John eight. And this is the uh, section of scripture that most people have uh, uh Come to come to love with regard to the truth will set you free. This is the uh, Romans eight gospel reading, uh, 
right around uh, 32, 34, 36, right in there. But the alternate gospels, what we're going to be hearing this year at Good Shepherd and many churches as well, and that is Matthew 11, 12 to 19. And folks, I'm going to, I'm going to preface you, um, you're going to hear this and you're going to think, what in the world does this have to do with Reformation Day? Vicar? Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet... Wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. The the bottom line, Matthew 11, verse 19. I can't wait until we get there. Um, this is uh, kind of in a bizarre way, Pastor. This, this is one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. And uh, it takes a little bit of explaining. It takes a little bit of work. Uh, but once the light bulb comes on for you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, once the light bulb comes on for you, uh, you can't look at this text and not see this text as speaking to the world that we live in, speaking to the state of the church, and speaking to the importance of making the good confession no matter what. Okay, so uh, we'll get started here. Matthew 11, verse 12, Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Pastor, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, maybe to give it a little bit of context, uh, the beginning of Matthew chapter 11, right before this particular passage, uh, John is in prison, uh, soon to be beheaded, and he sends his disciples to go and ask Jesus if Jesus is the one who is to come or if they should look for someone else coming later. And uh, so the disciples of John come and ask Jesus, and Jesus says, look what I'm doing, and go tell John what you see. Uh, and basically Jesus is saying, yes, I'm fulfilling all the things prophesied uh, about the Messiah. <clears throat> and so when we have this idea of from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. We see this with John in prison, soon to be beheaded, and also the other violence that's soon to take place in the life of Jesus, being uh, arrested, beaten, crucified, killed, uh, that continues even all the way until today, this discussion. And so uh, Jesus is making note of that here as well. Can we, can we look backwards through the pages of the Bible as well? Uh, when I think of Cain and Abel... Um, that's a pretty violent scene right off the bat. Well, I think that's a great example because of why Cain kills Abel, because this is what's underneath it, right? Um, the world hates the message of Jesus, 
and the world attacks the message of Jesus. And when John preaches the message of God rather than the message of the world, he gets put in jail. When Jesus preaches the truth, he gets crucified. When Peter preaches the truth, he gets put in jail, uh, eventually crucified upside down. When Paul preaches the truth, he's beaten, he's shipwrecked, he's uh, stoned, and he is eventually even beheaded for preaching the truth. Uh, St. Lawrence, for preaching the truth, gets grilled alive. Um, you know, the list goes on and on and on of all the martyrs that the world has violence against simply because they believe the message of God. And uh, that sounds like a pretty depressing situation for the church, doesn't it, This Pastor? is the gospel of our Lord. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Now, when we get to Advent, um, we're going to have basically one and a half Sundays that are dedicated to, as I like to say, the person and work of John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Christ. He's the crazy guy who uh, dresses in camel skin and eats uh, grasshoppers. And, you know, we, we got all this crazy stuff going on about John, end of the world kind of uh, uh, prophesying. But the bottom line is John's job is to point people to Jesus. And when it says, for all the law and the prophet, uh, all the law, prophets and the law, prophesied until John. This is not only saying John technically is the last of the great Old Testament prophets. It's saying something more. What are we, what are we uh, uh, talking about here, Vicar? Well, the, the one that John is pointing for, once the, the one who fulfills the law and the prophecy perfectly, in the man of in the man and God of Jesus, He is the one. Jesus is the one. You know, uh, earlier in this text, uh, Matthew eleven, you have uh, you know the John sends his disciples to Jesus. Uh, are you the one? Should we wait for another? There, there are a lot of people, and this is this has been really really big in the last fifty or sixty years. There are a lot of people that are saying, well, you know, John, he was just unsure of his mission. He was sitting in prison, and he was really, really doubting whether he had done the right thing. And he's languishing, he's depressed, he's mentally ill, all this kind of stuff. And I maintain, based on 2,000 years of history in the church and uh, God's clear word, that John was not wavering in, uh, in his... Um, understanding of Jesus as the Messiah, John is sending his disciples to hear it straight from the horse's mouth that Jesus is the one because soon John's going to be dead. And who are they going to follow? And so kind of the last great pastoral act of a great pastor. For the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And then Jesus says, if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. In what way is John the Baptist Elijah, Pastor? Well, um, this goes back to, I believe, Malachi, where uh, Malachi promises that before the Messiah comes, uh, that Elijah will come and prepare the way for him. And so 
Um, in that regard, John is the one who has come to prepare the way for Jesus, as he himself says, uh, bringing low the mountains, filling in the valleys, making straight the way of the Lord. And this is from Malachi 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so John is the fulfillment of those particular words uh, recorded several decades, hundred years uh, or more before the time of Jesus. And uh, this, is, this is not some obscure thing in the book of Malachi from some obscure little prophet that uh, is being pulled out of nowhere. This is, this is a uh, very, very uh, big deal, a common teaching. Uh, and I'm thinking here of uh, Matthew 27, when we've got the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And uh, Matthew 27, beginning at verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. The people looking at Jesus crying out from the cross are thinking of this prophecy right here that before the son uh, before the Messiah would come Elijah would come they're connecting these two together so this is not some offbeat off kilter kind of a thing this was a common teaching that everybody knew uh, if I remember right didn't they set a chair in the Passover meal uh, for uh, Elijah or one of the prophets, isn't that part of the tradition or custom? At least uh, in the uh, Passover meals, you know, the earliest we have recorded for us is from the 10th century A.D., and so at least in the modern ones, uh, they, they have done that uh, modern in that regard the last thousand years. We don't have a recorded uh, Passover meal liturgy uh, from this particular time, actually from before the 10th century A.D., so... Uh, I, it would be speculation on my part. I don't know. Okay. All right. Very good. So Jesus teaches us clearly that uh, we're, we're not talking about the reincarnation of Elijah. We're not talking about uh, uh, some, some sort of a portal or transfer, body transfer or anything like that. Spiritually speaking, when Malachi says that before the Messiah comes, Elijah will be here, Jesus says you are to understand that as fulfilled in the man, John the Baptist. Am I tracking here, Pastor? Yeah, and uh, you know it's unique in that regard, too, that Jesus says this, because we also have it fulfilled at the transfiguration when Elijah really does come as well. So in case you didn't get it the first time with St. John fulfilling that, we also have the same thing at the Transfiguration also. And once again, they're all pointing us to Jesus Christ, which is the important part of this whole uh, business. Yes, and Jesus is, is setting us up for something really, really big by bringing up John the Baptist here. 
because we know a lot about John the Baptist. We know how he dressed. We know how he acted. We know how he conducted himself. And because of the Gospels, we know a lot about Jesus, how he dressed, how he acted, how he conducted himself. We have two very distinct contrasts in style. And Jesus is going to use that contrast in style from John the Baptist, the the last of the Old Testament prophets, and Jesus, the great prophet who was prophesied in the Old Testament, the Messiah, the God-man, and we are going to see that in some respects, the style doesn't matter. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for Reformation Day. When we come back, we'll continue to look at our gospel reading, Matthew 11, 12 to 19. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Jesus Christ, our Lord, he holds the field forever. Welcome back. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for Reformation Day. We celebrate Reformation Day in the Lutheran Church generally the Sunday before October 31st. And then the following week, we celebrate All Saints Day. In our first segment, we looked at the introit, selected verses from Psalm 34, and then the antiphon, the bracketed verse, Psalm 119.46, an awesome, awesome verse from Scripture. In our second segment, we began our study of the Holy Gospel, the alternate gospel, Matthew 11, 12 to 19. And uh, you may be wondering, I still haven't figured out why this text is here for Reformation Day. Vicar has this puzzled look on his face, um, uh, more so than usual, folks, trust me. Uh, Will you want to read those words again, Vicar, Matthew 11, 12 to 19. Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds." 
All right, there we have it, Matthew 11, 12 to 19, the alternate gospel reading for Reformation Sunday. We uh, we looked at the first half of that gospel reading in our previous segment. We talked about John the Baptist. We talked about the context of this. And I said uh, toward the end of our uh, program that, the, that Jesus is setting us up here uh, with a contrast. He's setting us up. And the question that he is answer, asking is, but to what shall I compare this generation? And then he talks about children uh, singing and dancing in the marketplace. Pastor, uh, what's going on here? Yeah, um, well, maybe the best way for our modern mind to understand it is the way we act to particular music. So when you're at Memorial Stadium and um, they start to play the Tunnel Walk music, which is Rock and Roll Part 2, uh, is by Gary Glitter. Is that right? I'm thinking of the wrong song here, huh? No, I think it's What's something the, by like Cirrus or Sirius. There we go, yeah. Yeah, and we shamelessly stole that from the Chicago Bulls. Sorry to uh, shatter anybody's uh, myth on that tunnel walk music. But. We researched it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there you go. Anyways, when that music starts to play at Memorial Stadium, everybody acts a particular way, right? And what's their behavior? They start to scream and shout as loud as they can. Anticipation. The yeah. team is about ready to come out on the field. And then later on, uh, it, now this is a new thing, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, they turn all the lights red, and uh, they start to um, uh, play that Irish song, the Cornhusker, right? And everybody sings along and, and dances to that as well. And so these particular songs evoke a particular response from people. The same thing could be said for any music, really. Um, you know, if we do the uh, the funeral march, you know, dun, 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 dun. People feel gloomy and sad as a result of it. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Uh, these kids are playing the flute, and they are singing a, a song, and uh, nobody dances. Uh, they sing a dirge, which is the sad song, and, uh, and no one mourns. Uh, in other words, they're not responding the way people want them to or expect them to. Um, this is Jesus talking about both John the Baptist and himself. They don't fit into the old wineskins of the way people want things to be. They are their own unique, unique people. They're not puppets on a string that... Bending to our will. That will jump and dance at the message or command of the world. Uh, I think I think you you set that up very very well. When when you hear the music, uh, at Jaws, the movie Jaws, um, when you hear the music that uh, prefaces when the shark is going to come, uh, fear and terror strikes your heart because you know somebody's about to be gobbled up by the shark. Um, well, there's one time in the movie. Where the shark comes, and there's no music. What do you do then? And I think that's a that's a really really good picture here. The world says, "Christian, dance to our tune." The world says, "We have the marching music." We will say how much you should jump, 
and you will say how high. And you can plug in any other metaphor that you want to. I'm not going to on the radio here. The world commands Christians to act in a certain way. Christians, are you going to march and dance to the music of the world? Or are you going to literally march to the beat of a different drummer? Now, Pastor, uh, we've got this uh, picture here uh, with regard to John. And Jesus is talking about the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. Two contrasting styles of ministry. What do I mean when I say two contrasting styles of ministry? Because they're both preaching the same thing. Yep. In fact, the words in Matthew's gospel are exactly the same. Uh, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And John says that, and then Jesus says that to begin Jesus' ministry. Well, John was much more austere. He's out in the wilderness. Uh, He's got the funny outfit, and he's much more fire and brimstone, perhaps, is the way to say it, whereas Jesus seems to be more compassionate and caring. And so, um, you know, for John, they say, lighten up a little bit, John. Be happier. Uh, You know, don't preach about adultery with Herod and his wife, you know. Um, just, Just be relaxed a little bit. You're too intense. Don't take this this word of god thing quite so serious yeah we're playing we're playing happy music and you're not dancing because you're too austere and then with jesus it's the other way around you know well gee jesus aren't you going to observe the sabbath aren't you going to wash your hands the right way did you know that your disciples are eating grain from the field without uh having gone through the proper protocol you know you need to take things a little bit more seriously uh you are too lighthearted. We're, we're trying to play the funeral dirge and you're not mourning. And so in a way, God comes in both both fashions and the people won't accept it either way, which tells you it's not the, sub, or the style that's the problem, it's the substance that they don't like. So we have two different styles, two different methods, if you want to, but the same message. And Jesus is saying... If I'm, if I'm following you right here, um, the son of man, me, I came eating and drinking, and people hated me and criticized me and didn't care about my message. John the Baptist was austere, kept all the rules, um, and was very, very serious about the word of God, and people hated him, and they hated his message. So it doesn't really matter what style you do. It is the content of the message that is important. And if you change the content of the message, you are now dancing to the beat of the world. Yeah. Am, I, am I right there, Pastor? No, that's exactly right. And um, that... Um Sad to say, lots of times that's the way things work, right? So many people in the church do change the message to try and fit with the world. They might do so austerely. They might do joyfully and praisefully. Um, but when they stop talking about Jesus, then there's a real problem. And that's, I guess, what the, the main idea here is. And this is what happened in the Reformation, right? Uh, 
salvation was no longer won by God and given freely in Jesus Christ, but rather you had to do something in, in buying indulgences, and they had abandoned the word of God in that regard. They were very pious-looking and very holy. They had monks that spent their lives in cold monasteries getting up at four in the morning and uh, praying all the day long, but because they had lost sight of Jesus, it was bad. And I think maybe we're tipping on the other side in our modern world today where we're all happy and, and relaxed and, you know, sin's no big deal. Just do what you want to do. You only live once. And uh, once again, we're losing sight of Jesus. And I think you can make some historical connections uh, as well. We had we had some of the early reformers uh, like John Huss or uh, Wycliffe, Wycliffe, that were uh, more John the Baptist kind of people. And then we had gluttons and drunkards, more Martin Luther kind of people. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter. And folks, the, the message here is if you change your method so that the world will like you, it is because the world wants you to change the message. It is the message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen for poor, miserable sinners like us that the world hates. The world hates that message, and the world will never like that message, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, uh, and the world wants you to jump to their tune. Are you going to? Or are you going to stay faithful to the Word of God? Pastor, in the time that we have left, just briefly, wisdom is justified by her deeds. How does that fit in? Yeah, um, that's a good question, right? Uh, wisdom is justified by her needs. At first hearing, it sounds like, boy, it just doesn't even fit in here. It seems like a completely different thought, and yet... Um, this is saying the same thing that we've just said. It's the content of what is taught and done and preached and proclaimed that matters, not so much the style. In other words, wisdom is wise because of itself, not because of the way that you talk about it or bring it about. And so that, that'd be the way I would take that there. Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Correct. And God's word warns us to be not wise in our own eyes. Um, because our own eyes, that reflects the eyes of the world, the, the ways of the world. And so what, what deed actually justifies us? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate bottom line. And, uh, Vicar, uh, you've been, you've been sitting there politely and jotting notes and every once in a while your eyebrows raise and all that kind of stuff, uh, have we, have we done a sufficient job of explaining this text for Reformation Sunday for you? I, I believe so. I don't think necessarily a light bulb went off, but I think the fire's been kindled. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we need to take a break. This is Proclaiming the One. When we come back, we want to take a look at our epistle reading, Romans 3, 19 to 28, Justification par excellence. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, 
Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden, we serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'd love to have you join us for worship every Sunday morning at 8 and 10.30 with Sunday School for All Ages in between, Wednesday evenings at 6.30, uh, and that's year-round. We also have our church services broadcast live on KNNALP 95.7 in and around Lincoln. If you're unable to pick up our radio signal, you can go to our website or download the app, www.thecross957.org. Um, I would encourage you to check out the theological programming through podcasts that we have at Good Shepherd. Right now, we, uh, we're having some uh, copyright questions and some copyright issues with regard to the archives here at uh, KNNA. And uh, if you go to the archive section and they are disabled, it's not a problem with our website. They're disabled on purpose. And as soon as we get some of these uh, minor copyright issues cleared up, the archives will be back. Uh, they may not be back in exactly the same form, but they will be back. So um, again, Thank you for listening to Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for Reformation Day. And um, uh, in our first segment, we looked at the introit. Second and third segment, we looked at the Holy Gospel, Matthew 11, 19, or 12 to 19. And now we want to look at the epistle, uh, great, great justification epistle, Romans 3, 19 to 28. Pastor? Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. All right, we have... Uh Oh, so many marvelous verses here. And, you know, we've been doing a Sunday morning Bible study at Good Shepherd on Romans. And this section, Romans 3, 19 to 28, I think we spent three hours on these words. So we're only going to be able to scratch the surface here, Pastor, in uh, in this short, this short time period. Um, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Who is that? Well, um, that's all of us, since um, we are all under the law, we are born under the law, we live under the law. God's word is always true and wise in that it says, uh, do this and don't do that. And so uh, the law says that to us in our old sinful nature. At the same time, um, in Christ, 
the uh, law has been fulfilled on our behalf. And so uh, we have this weird dualism, if you will, going on within us, uh, our old nature and our new nature in Christ. It says here, so that every mouth may be stopped. Vicar, how does the law stop up or close up a mouth? Because it accuses us. It accuses us. We cannot do it. We cannot say, I have fulfilled the law. I have followed the law. Um, It shuts us up to where uh, uh, theology of glory is not even possible in us because it accuses us. So we have one of two reactions that we can have when we're confronted with the law. We can either open our mouth and justify ourselves, or we can shut up our mouth, be convicted, and let God justify us. That's really where we're going with uh, with this particular passage. Uh, throughout Romans, the second half of Romans 3, all of Romans 4, and all of Romans 5, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Why is that so hard to believe, Pastor? Because it's the only thing that exists in the world where that's true. Every other thing in our world, we do fulfill laws uh, and therefore get rewarded for it. The reason that I get a paycheck is because I uh, come into church every day and you know record radio shows and do the work of a pastor. The reason that um, the person at McDonald's get paid is because he goes in and does the work. By fulfilling that law, there's the reward that comes from it. How do you stay married? You uh, treat your wife or spouse with respect and kindness. Uh, you fulfill the law in that regard and uh don't cheat on them, and therefore they will stay with you, and uh, um, etc. Everything that exists in the world has some sort of law that determines the way that that system works, and uh, we fulfill that law, and therefore reap the rewards that come with it. Everything that is, except for faith in Christ, where God fulfills the law on our behalf. In verse twenty-one of Romans three, we have a very, very important but. B U T. But we're going along. You can't be justified by the law. Uh, By the works of the law, no one is saved. Everybody's mouth is stopped by the law. But. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. How is this distinction made here with regard to that but? The whole world, Pastor, you said this, the whole world works in one ways. It's a system of uh, rewards, work and rewards, uh, work and punishments. This is the way the whole world works. But, but, how is this righteousness here different? Well, I think it's in uh, the first book of Franz Pieper's uh, Theological Dogmatics book that it kind of talks about this, um, at least in a way that's easy for us to understand. In that uh, particular part, he says there's only two religions that exist in the world, a religion of works where we must fulfill some sort of law to receive a benefit from God, and the other religion is the religion of grace where God gives what is not deserved, where he does not punish us for what we do deserve, uh, and 
and and that distinction I think is helpful here. That but is that distinction. Now the righteousness of God has been made known to us apart from the law in Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom and propitiation for our sins, so that in him we might have forgiveness, life, and salvation to the complete fullness of God's desire. At the end of verse 22, Vicar, it says, For there is no distinction. What is the no distinction that the Holy Spirit is teaching us through the Apostle Paul in verse 23? Oh, well, just what it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, there is no distinction between, uh, there's no distinction to the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus. Okay, so when it comes to our sin, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're a billionaire or unemployed. It doesn't matter if you're white or black. It doesn't matter if you live in Europe or the United States. There are no distinctions that the world would hold out there as being really important kind of distinctions. And even everybody's a sinner. Everybody's a sinner, and even the distinctions that we try to put into that, you know, we always like to classify somebody as a worse sinner than ourselves to help us feel better, but the reality is all are sinful, all are equally sinful, and so um, as hard as it is to think about and even to say, you know, we're not better than Hitler or Osama bin Laden. We're just as guilty in God's eyes because of sin. When you have one sin, you have all sin, and that's every single person that's alive except for Jesus. And those are hard words, and yet unless we realize that our sin is serious, the gospel will bounce off us like water off a duck's back. It, uh, uh, unless my sins are in need of a great Savior, I have no need for Jesus, who is the great Savior. Uh, Vicar was trying to jump the gun just a little bit uh, with regard to this no distinction. The no distinction with the law gives way to the no distinction with the gospel, verse 24. All fall short of the glory of God, verse 24, and we can supply the all. All are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, this is a really long sentence, to be received by faith. Uh, in our time that we have, let's, uh, let's pick this apart. First of all, justified by his grace as a gift. What does that mean, uh, Vicar? Getting what we don't deserve. We get a free gift, what we don't deserve. And what we deserve is what the law tells us that we deserve. So we get this free gift, this, uh, this justification by grace. How do we get it? Through what, Pastor? Through faith which is the thing that receives what God gives, faith that looks to Christ. Faith is not the object that saves us in itself, but the thing faith looks to, which is the Lord who was uh, crucified on the cross, dead and buried, and rose again for our sake. That's the faith in that person is how we receive this forgiveness. This uh, In verse 25, this propitiation word, Pastor, you've used it a couple of times. Uh, explain that for people that may not be familiar with that word. Well, it's like uh, the, the easy way to think about propitiation is if the volcano god is mad at you, what you do to make him not mad is you throw a virgin in the volcano so that she can burn up in the lava underneath. And therefore, uh, she's the one who pays the price of the volcano 
volcano doesn't explode for you. That's the there's the movie um, with Tom Hanks about that from the eighties. Um, Joe versus the Joe volcano. Versus the volcano. My favorite really bad movie. And uh, you know, you always is on Super Sunday or whatever on Fox. Um, that's the idea of propitiation, something that pays the price that keeps a god from being angry at you. Okay, and uh, at the bottom line at the end, we hold, uh, verse 28, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. How is that really the big message of the Reformation, Pastor? Well, that's the big message of Christianity, uh, which gets restored in the Reformation, that uh, Jesus is the one who saves us, and we cannot add or subtract from that. Uh, that's uh, what... Uh, the early Lutherans were preaching and teaching, just like St. Paul and St. Peter were preaching at the very beginning of the church, and all the great doctors of the church have preached throughout the years as well. This is the message of Christianity. Amen, amen, amen. And if you're not hearing that message on Sunday, hold your preacher accountable because this is the heart, core, soul, and center of the faith. Uh, Vicar, would you bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day for Reformation Day? Almighty and gracious Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on your faithful people. Keep us steadfast in your, in your grace and truth. Protect and deliver us in times of temptation. Defend us against all enemies and grant to your church your saving peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Proclaiming the One today. When you get up on Sunday morning, drink your coffee, read your newspaper, pray for your pastor, but most importantly, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ on Reformation Day and on every day. We'll see you again next week.